Welcome to another episode of the Digital Built Australia podcast, the podcast that unpacks the ways in which digital technologies and data insights can shape a highly productive and sustainable built environment. My name is Adam Beck, and along with my co-host, Gavin Cottrell, we'll use this podcast to share insights about the places, spaces, and assets that we shape, and the policymakers, practitioners, and researchers and innovators behind the work. So let's get to it. In this episode of the DBA podcast, I talk with Sarah Stace. Sarah is currently Director of Cities at WSP in Australia, but she spent time in all three tiers of government, Transport for New South Wales. She was Strategic Transport Planner at Waverley Council in New South Wales and spent over six years with the federal government in the major cities unit. She was a practicing architect earlier in her career. She's had her own consultancy. She was also a tech startup founder and, of course, spending time with both the Western Australia and New South Wales governments as part of their state design review panels. This was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Let's have a listen. It has been an interesting year and one of the One of the things that happened this year, which is somewhat the topic of conversation between us today, is a year has passed since the Australia Infrastructure Plan was published. And in my world, which is digital data, infrastructure and urbanism, that was a significant milestone. That was a significant uh, document that was published because of many things, the main one being called for and calls for Australia to take a digital by default approach to infrastructure delivery going forward for our nation. And in particular, there's a key recommendation that's articulated in the Australia Infrastructure Plan. It's known as Recommendation 3.3. And for our listeners, I'll just quote that recommendation. It says, uh, recommendation 3.3, we will increase productivity and embed a culture of innovation in the infrastructure sector by adopting an evidence-based digital by default approach to infrastructure planning, delivery, and operations. And underneath that recommendation, the plan continues to lay out a series of Uh, more detailed measures. Uh, It gives a series of outcomes and activities that have been articulated. It talks about things like setting up a national office of digital by default in infrastructure. It talks about establishing a national digital infrastructure network. It talks about implementing smart infrastructure policies in each jurisdiction. You get the idea and a sense of what this bold, ambitious, but really important document is trying to do. And as someone that's played in this space, both in the private sector and public sector for a while, I thought you might have some views around how do we keep ourselves accountable to these kind of bold recommendations. So I'd like to explore that, but let's start with your response at a more strategic and broad level around our federal infrastructure advisory body wanting to go digital by default for the nation. What would you share with us in terms of some initial views? Infrastructure Australia, when it was first started in around 2008, it was just as we were falling into the GFC, the global financial crisis. And one of their big things that they were pushing back then was sweat the assets. 
So their view was and, and remains that you don't just go ahead and build lots of new train lines and lots of new motorways unless you've made sure that your current assets are being maximised in terms of their efficiency and effectiveness. And I guess um, in my mind, this digital by default is one way of doing that. So you're not just building digital for the sake of it, you're building digital because you're being more efficient. That might be that you've got I don't know, on the transport system, you've got more reliable customer journey times, or you've got a better idea of how many people are using the system. It might be that you're able to measure better whether you're getting good customer outcomes, those sorts of things. So by extension of what Infrastructure Australia's intent is, is, which is that we need to be using our assets to the most efficient and effective way possible, that definitely fits. Um, I guess in terms of how that then gets delivered though. You've talked about digital in infrastructure planning, delivery and operations. That often then falls to, and it's very unlikely the, the federal government would be doing a lot of that work. They might in things like Centrelink or something like that. But when we're getting to infrastructure, that's largely delivered by the state government and by local governments. And so it's it's not clear from your description there how that's going to be delivered, other than setting up some sort of governance body like this national office uh, of digital by default. What's their role going to be? Are they going to be handing out funding to do that? Are they going to be setting up some sort of performance and evaluation framework? What's the What are the levers that they can pull to do that? Yeah, there's some interesting sub points in recommendation 3.3. Let me elaborate on a few of them. There's a progress measure in there that will require a percentage of Australian government funded projects to incorporate digital twin capability, for example. It speaks to the idea of a national digital infrastructure roadmap being published and then every year a progress report against that. It talks about a percentage of projects over $50 million to have digital asset champion roles. So there's actually quite a fair bit of detail in here about sort of ways and means and strategies that they might achieve this. But let me kind of set a bigger picture here. This was published over a year ago. So the one-year anniversary has sort of passed. A lot of these actions have time range commitments like you know in the next five to ten years so we've blinked and one year has gone from a reporting perspective from an accountability a transparency making sure that we're sort of on track how how does something like this play out you, you mentioned that you know a lot of things pass through that are to a state and local government that kind of causes me more anxiety you know more touch points more ways in which things can go wrong or not be embedded in procurement. Uh, from the Australian government's perspective, Sarah, you, you've kind of been in the belly of the beast a while ago. You were hanging around annual reporting and things like that. Is Does this stuff really matter? Does it make an impact? Is Is it hard to do that? Um, it's not completely difficult. If, if, as you've said, there's this requirement that a certain percentage of government-funded projects need to incorporate digital twins, that's presumably that means that when they are handing out grant funding, somebody in the Australian government is then amending the grant funding guidelines. That can take quite a while to do because 
procurement might only come around once a year, et cetera. So, you know, that that's understandable and but not particularly difficult. But then when you come to doing things like progress reports, then you sort of start to raise questions. Well, who's reporting to whom? Who's capturing that? How transparent is that? Is that published on which Australian government website? Um, so somebody has to be responsible. Now, if they're waiting to set up some sort of agency and we haven't heard any news about what that agency is, then again, that could be quite some way away. But they could find other ways to do that reporting. So there was, it still remains on the website, but it's it's been sort of not updated. The National Performance Framework for Cities, for example, that there are avenues to, to do some sort of reporting. We used to have the COAG Reform Council way back in the day. Um, I think that got abolished back in 2015, 2014, something like that. But that again would have been a way to have some sort of reporting or auditing mechanism. I'm not familiar with what that current process would be. There might be a digital office that that would. So it, it can be done. Um, it's just whether or not there's meant to be some sort of very clear sequential order or whether there's a, a, a holding point where those sorts of things are being at least collected, if not then reported on. Yeah, and, and you mentioned sort of the word agency there um, in your response. We we think we know that something might be coming from the Albanese government with, with respect to sort of cities and uh and and suburbs uh, of course the the review the independent review of infrastructure australia has has happened and we're sort of sitting on the edge of our seats to see how that sort of manifests itself in terms of any changes or reforms or rolling into other things so we can only speculate there but if you were to let me ask you the question this way if you were to get 20 minutes with the Prime Minister, who we know is, I think, quite well versed in cities, infrastructure, uh, livability, uh, and even down to sort of placemaking, and you know, he he can get pretty tangible from from memory and in his past portfolios and positions and what he has advocated for. If you had 20 minutes with him, what would be some of those highlights around? what needs to be put in place to realize the vision of what's in that IA plan you know this and if i can pick on digital by default okay so kind of what are those highlights what are those talking points that you'd take into a meeting i guess um there there'd be a range of things one of them is well why why do we need to do this other than infrastructure australia has has said that's a good thing to do I think it's always important to sort of start with, well, why and what's the intent? What's the purpose or intended outcome? In this case, I'm assuming that um, part of that is around improving our um, economic productivity, making sure we get those better livability outcomes and social outcomes and certainly tackling climate change. You know, So they're the big picture items, which a digital by default could be part of that solution or at least tracking and resolving that. If, if you look at digital twins, for example, and the current crises we have around uh, disaster recovery. You know, you've got roads that are being washed out in Queensland, Victoria, New South Wales, and people are having to literally drive along those roads and or with helicopters and check them out. So, you know, that there's some potential solutions with a digital twin process. There's the federal government has funded part of things like the the Western Sydney Airport. That is a real opportunity because it's a whole greenfield site to embed digital by default into all of that work. Um, as, as it's going in. So you get the capital work and you get the digital uh, twin alongside that. So I'd say that there are some 
what are the issues that are of national importance or that you're using that digital to end up with better efficiencies or outcomes. That that always attracts a minister mm -hmm. and, and certainly Albanese is very interested in that. I think you'd also then look at, you know, you might ask some questions about, well, how are we doing this? You know, are you going to get the agencies up that you promised? They're sort of mundane administrative things as far as I'm concerned. I think it's really then saying, well, how are all the stakeholders and in industry going to help deliver this? Prime Minister, you know, which minister are we going to be working with? Is, does this come under, uh, is it working through IA or there are other agencies in the Australian government or in the state agencies that have got traction or ownership or custodianship over this? And then how do we bring together all sorts of different parts of industry and key stakeholders in other levels of government, peak advocacy groups and so on, um, and academia to make sure we're actually delivering on this and getting the outcomes that were intended. So I'd be looking at how what that sort of whole view is and then how, how do we help to achieve that ultimately. So there's a number of advocates for let's just stick with digital twin for a moment and and that narrative and that agenda and the capabilities that come with digital twin there's a number of people advocating at a national level that we need greater action greater investment it's a really challenging one isn't it particularly when you you've got big infrastructure spends that are well entrenched into the just the system and the cycle of all three tiers of government and we have you know businesses and consultancies all set up doing what we do we we build stuff in australia it's one of our core strengths right it's politically it's a really challenging one isn't it in terms of trying to change mindsets or as i've experienced a few times but as others tell me there are genuine parts of political representation representatives that just don't know and they they're really craving advice and they really rely on industry you spent time in federal government. Can you share some views around the dynamics between government and peak bodies and industry bodies? And I know there's, I just feel that in the digital twin space at the moment, we're kind of at a moment, we're at an awkward moment where we kind of really want to move this idea forward, digital twin. To us in industry, it's like a no brainer, you know, like it's just, it's clear that we need to act and invest. But of course, you know, we, we need to bring government along and and I'm not too sure what the national plan is at the moment in terms of trying to convince government around this. What what are your what are your tips for those advocates out there about how we engage, particularly the federal government? It's a big ATM, isn't it? You know, they've got they've got certain controls and levers and elements of programs and policies. But as you, you said earlier, the state and territory governments and also local government kind of it'll a lot of the time it manifests out closer to those tiers of government on the ground what well yeah what would you share about that advocacy piece yeah well as i said in terms of the delivery it would be through other levels of government largely the, the federal government doesn't get out the diggers and dig stuff um but they they can as as you've noted put caveats or conditions on funding for example um I guess from an advocacy point of view, it's really important to partner together. So when when um, 
you're a bureaucrat sitting in um, a, a federal government agency, and I'm not talking about the ministers necessarily, but just the, the, the bureaucrat side, you're really wanting to talk to or understand who are the key players here that I need to listen to, who represent the most of the industry. Um, you don't really want to go to be going to talk to individual providers who've got a widget or a gadget because that's just too much. I think even mm. at local and state government, that's a problem. So creating a united voice and a key clear message about what needs to be done, uh, why it needs to be done and how it's going to be done. Those, those, you know, how you're going to measure it, those sorts of things. The more you can get a united group of people with united um, sort of front um, and clear messaging, the more that's going to get through. And then sort of saying, and that might be through individual meetings if you, if you can get them, but also saying things like, well, we want to bring together a forum and we want to show that there's a large group of people here and from all sorts of different organisations and parts of the industry who have a similar view. So I think that that's probably the most convincing. Um, certainly as a um, sort of a mid-level bureaucrat, I wasn't, I didn't meet with individual organisations. I would only meet with peak industry associations mm. because that's that's just partly for, for a democratic point of view and partly because that's how you're going to get the most efficient access to the most uh, best quality information you can. I think also working with academia is convincing because you're getting that strong evidence base as well. Um, and also working with the coalitions of councils, so things like the National Growth Areas Alliance or the Council of Capital City Lord Mayors. So you're getting a representation of different groups across the country um, and you're not just coming across as, uh, I don't know, like tech bros or something like that. I'm sure there's a place yeah. for that, yeah, yeah. Um, but you're really wanting that united alliance front. Yeah, okay. Well, that, look, there's... There's some great tips in there for us on an advocacy front. Let me go back to recommendation 3.3. We're going to do all this great stuff digital by default. A year has gone. We blinked and it went. I I imagine that, you know, another year could go quite easily uh, before sort of we really see anything substantial moving. So Two years out of five have, has already gone. Can I ask you a more, more maybe a philosophical question? I want to bring in this idea of time. And we don't talk about time a lot. I like talking about time to make things tangible and also to hold us, hold us account as well. And I use things like 2030 because the Paris Climate Agreement, the UN Sustainable Development Goals, that's kind of eight years away, 3,500 days or whatever it is, you know, so eight years sounds like a lot, but it's kind of almost nothing because you can see very quickly from recommendation 3.3 that a year's already gone and we don't know if anything's happened, if, you know, if at all. So time really evaporates quickly when it comes to this thing. Overlay four-year political cycles, throw in there things like, you know, a for fun, you know, a 2032 Brisbane Olympic Games, you know, the biggest event hosted sort of in your backyard. Time is a really challenging one when it comes to market transformation. Can I ask you your views around time, uh, transformation of the built environment? I'd, I'd love to hear your perspectives based on your various roles in various levels of government and now in the private sector. Are you feeling optimistic? Uh, do you think the transformation is more broadly happening, uh, the role of policy? What would you share around that big, broad question? I think generally my experience of working, particularly between 
federal and state is that often it operates at the like it's almost like a gearbox where you've got all these levers where one state will be doing pushing the agenda like New South Wales is really Mm -hmm. pushing the digital agenda along very strongly and another state would be saying look this is important to us right now we're busy dealing with flooding disaster or election cycles so um, and often when you're looking at a national approach from the federal government's point of view or a national agency's point of view you can only go as fast as the very slowest organization because you can you know you've got it supposed to get this unilateral agreement so on time i would say that anything involving a national consensus moves at about the speed of a glacier yeah um yeah really really slow i think when it comes to digital it's that mix really of wanting to have that regulation that prevents bad stuff from happening like privacy laws or individual organizations taking hold of particular social media outlets or mm-hmm. controlling data, those sorts of things. But you want to be not so overregulated that you're um, preventing any stimulation of innovation in the market. Um, so that's, I think, always really tricky for governments. They struggle with keeping up with, I don't know, say the whole idea of dark kitchens being put in or those sorts of things. And often they'll fall to different, that might be a local or a state government issue. Um, I think around time, one of the things that's really big at the moment, I think, is this, you know, as we've seen with the elections, the community is saying that time's up when it comes to climate. We actually have to Mm. act. And the fact that we've seen, you know, three years straight of fires and floods it's, it's becoming very real for a lot of people. And so we don't have time. Mm. Um, but then I guess the question is coming back to things like digital, there's always that balance between, well, should we be concentrating on thinking about how we're doing this well and efficient in the future? Or do we concentrate on just resolving this disaster right now because we've got people in the northern rivers of New South Wales who don't have a home? Yeah. So I think that if the digital debate can then be saying, you know, well, we, we can build back better or we can help communities become more resilient. So it's partly also showing the how this is going to help build some of that resilience or res- improve the efficiencies as we were talking about before. But yeah, time is definitely always tricky. It's so much easier just to kick the can down the road. Yeah. And, and time is invisible, right? It's hard to sort of wrap your head around just like digital and data. And that's one of the things I've found over the last sort of seven years that I've been advocating for greater investment in digital and data as an enabler for better, cheaper, quicker. That's a hard one with politics, isn't it? The invisible, you can't cut a ribbon on greater digital efficiency, can you? Is there... Although I think in New South Wales, Victor Dominello is doing a pretty convincing job. You know, he he gets on LinkedIn. Yeah, it's a a masterclass, isn't it? Like it is... Yeah. Incredible how much yeah. transformation he's bringing from a digital transformation. And it's not ribbon cutting, but actually he's discovered a new formula to ribbon cutting, which yeah. is put it on LinkedIn. So, so, and- so do you think that's been a success factor? The fact that he's he's made it human, he's made it he's been able to communicate it, make it tangible. He uses little notes and clippings, like it's very tactile in some ways, isn't it, in terms of how he's trying to demonstrate the value of digital and data. And it's personal. So he talks about his mum, you know, struggling to go to Centrelink or get on the bus or something like that. And uh, all for himself. So he, or or he'll actually say, you know, people have made these suggestions. So we tweaked it. You know, that, 
Mm. That's very appealing to the general public because they can understand that and they can see that it's actually impacting it. Now I've got a digital license. I don't have to carry my driver's license everywhere. That's really handy. I've got my Opal um, on my watch now, so I don't need to carry my Opal card around. So those sorts of things actually make a real difference to people's lives. And I think that tangibility, you know, you said the things that you don't see, it's very hard to convince people about but I think that's what's really is that masterclass is turning it into well this actually matters we can do it quickly we can be agile we can respond to your demands and do that quickly is is incredible I'm buoyed by your level of enthusiasm and of course you know what we've seen from New South Wales but I'm also anxious as well because with one of my pet passions which is digital twin I think to myself oh my, how are we going to do that with Digital Twin, you know, which is a set of capabilities around integrating data, analysing data, simulating, visualising. You know, we need some really creative folks that are going to be able to, both in private sector and, and of course, from a political perspective within government, to try and replicate that. What Victor's done broadly for digital and data, how do we do that for Digital Twin, Oh boy, we've we've got we've got some thinking to do, and and we've got to get a little bit cre- creative. Is that more broadly at a national level? Let's bring digital and data up at a national level. You know, you've been in federal government. I don't know where digital and data was was back then. Not that it was the dark ages, but it, it's kind of pretty close. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the last three to four years feel like they've there's been you know a lot of rapid evolution of digital data enablement for the built environment. Is this more broadly going to be quite a challenge for our current era politicians to to really try and grab as an opportunity? Certainly at the federal level, I'd say so. Again, because you need to think about what are the levers that they can pull. So mm. we've just talked about what they've put in the those recommendation 3.3 in the report. They've mentioned the levers that they think, you know, that, that there might be some that they can only dangle certain carrots like funding and um, there's not many sticks that they can wield other than, uh, you know, they, they could do, say, taxation, they can do they can do reporting, but there's not a lot that the federal government can do to encourage others. Other, well, I guess they can do sort of data protection things. They can do standards. Um, it's all very run-of-the-mill sort of stuff. They could definitely expand funding programs to stimulate businesses to go out and write patents and do really interesting stuff. They could certainly do a lot more to stimulate different types of innovation. Uh, you know, Switzerland, for example, has hundreds of micro-industries that the the Swiss government very actively encourages because they see that as an important part of diversifying their economy. Yeah. So, and it may not necessarily be digital, but that there are ways that the federal government can do it. Now, the other thing they can do is just clean up their own backyard. So mm. um, to demonstrate by doing, so Centrelink, for example, could, uh, and Medicare could look at what New South Wales has done with Service New South Wales and very, very significantly improve the way they're providing those digital services. And I think that probably happened to some extent during COVID um, with things like getting your, um, on your phone, you could get your uh, COVID vaccination certificate digitally, for example. So they they could do more about demonstrating for themselves how they do that. Um, but as I said, it's, it's, it is a limited sandpit they can play in. Yeah. Sarah, final question. I always sort of ask my guests 
you know, what are you looking forward to in the coming year? You're mucking around in in cities and transportation. You're always trying to make our places and communities more sustainable. Is there something exciting you'd sort of share with us in terms of what's on the agenda for 2023, except for your lovely long holiday that's coming up? But once you get back at the desk, what are you looking forward to in the new year? So at the moment, I'm working at WSP as Director of Cities, and we have some pretty amazing digital capabilities, um, particularly around Land IQ, which brings together this sort of spatial mapping of the whole estate of New South Wales that we've developed um, with the state government and with other industry partners. And that has real opportunity for integrating with digital twin. Um, and I think the fact that there are things like the Western Sydney Airport and Bradfield um, mm. Town Centre and so on that really are going to be integrating digital into this, these new site developments. So I think that's really exciting. I think also that there's a whole lot of new business models out there that are emerging as a result of going digital. And yeah. they might be, um, you know, different ways of doing last uh, first and last mile delivery. It might be different ways that you're getting community transport. It might be different ways of understanding. You're just delivering services to people and goods to people differently. And I think that's a really, really, really exciting challenge because it means we can actually think more aspirationally about, well, what what do we want on our streetscapes? Or what mm. lifestyle do we want to lead? And then digital is the enabler for that to happen. And I think that that's, uh, that's continues to accelerate. Sarah Stace, thanks so much for joining us on the DBA podcast. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Well, we hope you liked this episode of the Digital Built Australia podcast. Remember, if you're not subscribing, you can do so. Head to your favourite podcast platform. Or you can also go to our website, www.digitalbuiltaustralia.com. 